That's actually the revised title. <laughs> the, 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 title, the title that was before that was, um, yeah, but maybe not. So I'm a little bit stirred with the Lord because it's Palm Sunday. Have you read these texts on Palm Sunday? They're not what you think they are. <laughs> so when I read those, I was like, oh man, Jesus, you're setting me up. And uh, I definitely want to stay in the season that it is uh, because when I, I read all four gospels, diving in those things about what they have to say about the triumphal entry and what we call Palm Sunday and in our case, Saturday, Sunday. Um, but what an incredible, amazing text. And, uh, and so I'm gonna talk to you about Jesus weeping. But before I do that, I'm gonna do this. That's what happened to my mama's house after we left. And just, that's my mama's house and those are her azaleas. Come on, that's pretty good. And I could have been there if I, if I could have stayed a little bit longer, but no. And uh, my mom will be mad because her awnings need cleaning and all kind of stuff. But there it is, that's mama's house. That's the haven uh, of rest. That's where I, we moved in 1961. Hallelujah. All right. So, the original title of this message was Losing My Mind, Losing My Religion, Losing My Faith, and Finding Jesus. That's a good change, right? Wouldn't you say that's a good change? That's a good change. And uh, it was confessional because I'm going to tell you guys the truth. That's where I've been. That's where I've been living. And, uh, and I'm fine. I don't mean fine in that awful sense. I mean fine in that I know who I am. I know whose I am. I know, I know what God has in his heart for me and for you and for this world. And uh, it took a lot of adjusting to get there. All right? In fact, so when Gail and I left town, it's kind of funny because I'm going to tell you the truth. When we left town, I, I've been listening to some of the secular prophets Y'all know who the secular prophets are, don't you? They're the rock and roll people. So on the way out of town, I was listening to uh, my favorite old song, Losing My Religion. That's me in the corner. And I listened to that a bit. And it, and it was kind of soothing to my soul. And then on the way home, I, I picked up... Another guy that I like, and I'm going to actually read his song to you because you need it. All right? So here, here it is. 
This is sting for those of you who don't know it. You can say I lost my faith in science and progress. You can say I lost my faith in the Holy Church. You can say I, I lost my sense of direction. You could say all of this and worse. But if I ever lose my faith in you, he said about a woman, and I said to Jesus, there'd be nothing left for me to do. A friend of mine who blogs wrote a post about and said, I still I still believe, and he was musing over the mess of the last year. And so I went on there and said, I still believe. Why do I still believe? Here's why. Because when I called on him, he answered me. When I, when I cried out, he heard my cry. And I'm talking about 40-something years ago. And I'm talking about ever since then, too. Let me tell you why I can lose my faith in a ton of stuff, but not Jesus. Because I didn't have faith in a ton of stuff. And I didn't get my faith from a ton of stuff. I got my faith from the one who is holding me. Some would say I was a lost man in a lost world. You could say I lost my faith in the people on TV. You could say I lost my belief in our politicians. Oh, yeah. They all seem like game show hosts to me. If I ever lose my faith in you, there'd be nothing left for me to do. And then this little transition thing, this little bridge, I could, I could be lost inside their lives without a trace, but every time I close my eyes, I see your face. You think Sting didn't know something? I never saw no miracle of science that didn't go from a blessing to a curse. I never saw no military solution that didn't always end up as something worse. Let me say this first. If I ever lose my faith in you, there'd be nothing left for me to do. Jesus is his name. Jesus. I listened to old Sting for hours. Because I'm going to tell you something. I've talked to y'all about this before. So I'm going to get it on out. So when, so when, our, when our pastor comes... You don't, have to, you don't have to deal with this stuff. Um, when, when David said, you brought me up out of the pit and out of the miry clay, heard a wonderful story about an old drunk that was wandering through a graveyard 
And he fell in an open grave. You know, one that they hadn't used yet. And he starts climbing and trying and clawing and climbing and trying and clawing. He couldn't get out. So he just fell down in the corner and went to sleep. About an hour later, some other dude came walking through the graveyard and fell in. And when he did, he started climbing and clawing and climbing and clawing. And the old drunk woke up and stood up and tapped on his shoulder and said, you can't get out of here. <laughs> but he did. <laughs> but I want you to know, when you're in the pit, Something has to come get you, man. I want you to know. You guys going to be all right if I'm not all right tonight? Can we talk? Uh, can I tell you about being depressed, Something, some stuff you don't know? When you're depressed and people praise you, it sounds like accusations. I'm not kidding. Because everything they tell you that's, that they see in you, 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 don't, you know a different you. So can I tell you what to do? A gentle touch and I love you is enough. And then save those good words because when we're feeling better, we need them. Or else, um, I'll tell you what I do. If you write them and seal them up, I leave them sealed up for a while. It's all right. I, we know. <laughs> we know. We know. He's already ringing the bell on me. Be flushing me pretty quick here. Be getting the hook. There's explanations for it, but some of them, but some things are just not explanations for it. And, um, you know, I've made my whole hay out of being a tough guy. And I ain't been tough. So, you know, I had two things happen to me. One is I returned to the voice of my youth in the, in the, in the early 1990 when I fell apart. I started listening to a preacher named Steve Brown. He's, he's older than God. And he's got a voice that sounds like God. And he's still going. And I got a CD in the mail. And it was called The Tears of God. So I've been listening to my old friend again, right? And then what do I get? This text. We'll get there for, before we're done. We'll get there.
I'm a passionate man for the kingdom of God. But I want you to know these last few years, and especially this last year, has been wrenching in that regard. Because the kingdom of man looks so much like the kingdom of God that we'll sell ourselves into it. And Palm Sunday was such a time. Here it is. Jesus was teaching, and then it says, And when he had said these things, he went on ahead, going up to Jerusalem. And when he drew near to Bethphagia and Bethany, at the mount that is called Olivet, he sent two of the disciples. Now, something about this journey, because this journey started in Jericho. And if you go from Jericho, to Jerusalem, you will climb approximately 4,000 feet elevation. Jesus was outside of Jerusalem and there came that time when he said, I must needs go. I have to go. He set his face for Jerusalem. He had to go on a journey that he could take them with him, but as he went, they would fall away. Hard climb from below sea level to 3,000 feet above sea level, arid. And it's not until you get to this place that he's talking about where you top a rise and finally you come into green again. But it's still arid. Very New Mexico-like. And he comes to this place he starts to prepare himself, going to the village in front of you. Where on entering you will find a colt tied, listen to it now, on which no one has ever yet sat. An unbroken colt. We learn from, I think it's Matthew's gospel, it is a donkey. Untie it and bring it here. And if anyone asks you, why are you untying it? You shall say the Lord has need of it. I have no idea whether he'd pre-prepared this or whether um, the signal of this word was enough. We don't know. We know Jesus did. So those who were sent away went and found it just as he had told them. Jerusalem is alive with unrest in 30 year, year of our Lord. The divisions among the sects of Israel, the divisions of the body politic, the word of a Messiah that they've already known about, but a son of David, the hopes of the fulfillment of the covenant. The tension of Roman occupation. 
the pretense of Herodian rule. And Jesus is going into that place. And as they were untying the colt, its owners said to them, why are you untying this colt? They said, the Lord has need of it. And they brought it up to Jesus and throwing their cloaks on the colt, they set Jesus on it. Now, I want you to get the vision of this because I think we've not seen it clearly. And as he rode along, they spread their cloaks on the road. So he's not in Jerusalem yet, coming into the city. As he was drawing near, already on the way down the Mount of Olives, the whole multitude of his disciples began to rejoice and praise God with a loud voice for all the mighty works that they had seen. Then we know from Matthew's gospel and from that we just saw, we knew they, they did these things. They, they, took, they took their garments off and they spread them in the path. There's an old story about Sir Walter Raleigh. It's been depicted in a couple of films. Seeing the queen walking on the streets of London and approaching a place where it was muddy and taking off his coat and throwing it in the path so the queen could walk unsullied. Some of you have seen that depicted. We don't, they don't know if it's true or not. It just makes good theater. And she's the queen. And the king is coming. This idea of throwing your coats, and it had, it had, a, it had a prelude in it. In, in 2 Samuel, O Jehu gets declared king and they throw their garments in the road for him to make a triumphant march. They tear the palm branches off and it's out of place for most people. We always think everything's going to happen in, in a timely way. The, the breaking of the palm branches has its genesis in the Maccabean period. Because when the, when the Maccabeans conquered the pagan armies and became a kingly dynasty that lasted a hundred years. They put palm branches in the path. So it's more of a Hanukkah celebration than it is of a Passover celebration. And this is Passover. This is the Passover. And Passover is the deliverance from slavery. Passover is the conquest of the powers. Conquest is being set free. And Jesus is coming for, for Passover. The palm branches were also a representation. So they were because of this Maccabean thing. You would find the palm branches on the coins of the Maccabean period. They were the sign of nationalist dreams being fulfilled. It's so easy to conflate our po political hopes with our religious faith. So easy to do it. It's so seductive. It's so compelling. Calls to us. Because we think, surely, this is it. Think of what they had. This is Israel. The prophets had prophesied. They, had, they have Jesus doing signs. 
the last of the signs that he did, he had just done as it's recorded for us because on this path, this is on the path to where Lazarus was raised from the dead. And that incredible moment when Jesus enters into their sorrows and it says, and Jesus, and you read this long narrative. He's not confused. He knows what he's doing. Everything's gonna happen. And then there's this moment where it says, and he wept. There's only two times in the, in the narrative that it, that it directly says it like this. At Bethany, when at the raising of Lazarus and what's about to happen here. He said, blessed is the king who comes in the name of the Lord. Peace in heaven and glory in the highest. They're quoting from the Hallels. They're quoting from the Psalms. And in the other passages, it says, Hosanna, Hosanna, oh, save us. And some of the Pharisees in the crowd said to him, teacher, rebuke your disciples. We don't know exactly why. Maybe they're afraid of the stoking of these hopes. Of course, the Pharisees by now have their own plans. And we read in John's gospel that they're plotting to kill even Lazarus. And he answered, I tell you, if these were silent, the very stones would cry out. And here's that passage. And Jesus allows the praise to fill his heart and fill his ears. But watch this. Luke weaves it together for us so magnificently. And when he drew near the city, wept over it. Wow. Saying, would that you, even you, had known that this, on the day, on this day, the things that make for peace, but now they are hidden from your eyes. The fact that he came in on a donkey, an unbroken colt, the prince of peace, came in like Zechariah prophesied in chapter 9 and Matthew records for us. He's riding the foal of a donkey, this unbroken animal that offers him no resistance, the king of kings and the lord of lords manifesting his glory with the lowliness of the way he comes in and the lowliness of his heart. At the time of David, the donkey was considered a royal animal, but by the time the later prophets came into vogue, they all thought it would be a white horse. And the image of the white horse of the conquering king and even the prophets and the and the. And the rabbis, the teachings of Jerusalem said to them, if he comes on the white stallion, he's a man of war. If he comes on the donkey, he's the man of peace. And he says, if only you'd known the way of peace, but it's hidden from your eyes. So often what God is doing is hidden from our eyes. If you've gone through this last year and you think you have a clear eye, you have already made a fool of yourself. What a soul-crushing year we've had. Blow after blow. 
a disease over which we still fight every day. Touch, no touch. Mask, no mask. Conspiracy, no conspiracy. If that was all, that would be enough. I'm walking with the people who are the people of the Prince of Peace and we're making war over things that are not war. We're angry at one another and stirred at one another and giving accusations to one another. You have faith, you have no faith. I've come home, haven't I? Suddenly, then the racial component got added in. And suddenly, people with whom we've had sweet favor, we're suddenly tense about one another. How can this be? Our definitions of what's right and wrong get parsed because the way of peace is hidden from our eyes. Our definitions of what racism is, is it's unclear to us now. We're afraid of one another. People in the streets tell us how we ought to be. For the days will come upon you when your enemies will set up a barricade around you and surround you and hem you in on every side and tear you down to the ground and your children within you. They will not leave one stone on another in you because you did not know the time of your visitation. Listen. Do you, if you think I have any recrimination to give to these people, I have none. I have none. I would have been with them. I would have been with them. I'm certain every time I see masses of people do terrible things, I'm certain that I would have joined them. Especially if it's inflamed by anger or zeal. We get swept away. I'm telling you this because there's a path forward for us. The path is that we must humble ourselves and pray and seek his face. There's a path forward for us because we don't see clearly. And I'm sorry, neither did the prophets. Jesus, I want you to look at this crowd now. I want you to look at them. Good people, zealous people, loving people, people who have seen something in Jesus that they had not seen anywhere else, emboldened by the moment, seizing the moment. But what spirit were they of? Had it been the Holy Spirit, they would doubtless have persevered. But alas, the Holy Spirit had not yet been poured out on them. They were of the spirit of their times. And in the spirit of their times, they were carried away on a wave. God is always asking us, do you know, do you know what spirit you're of? Talking to a madman, I've been insane. Don't listen to me if you don't want to. I'll give you a way out. I've wept more tears 
in the last eight weeks than in the last 30 years. They've been my bread day and night. Some of them angry. Probably a lot of them. If you heard my language. Some of them lamenting and forlorn. And many of them self-loathing. And none of them in vain. Thou art great and we are small, says the rabbi's prayer. Thou art sovereign and we are weak. Thou art infinite and we are finite. Thou art eternal and we tarried, but just a little while. But with all thy greatness and all thy power, thou dost bend low and listen to the sound of our tears as they strike the ground. This is our God. And so Jesus weeps on that night for the blindness of the people who are praising him. He weeps that night for the, for the people who don't, do not discern the moment of their visitation, but falsely discern it as an hour for military conquest. He weeps for them that night. He weeps over a city. What kind of man is this? This Jesus who in the moment where he could seize the crowd, everyone wants to seize the crowd. It's the rule of the world. If you have the crowd, you can seize the moment. If you have the crowd, you can, you can make a conquest. You can conquer a country. You can have your way in legislation. If you have the crowd, you can strike fear in the hearts of people. And he will not give himself to the crowd. He will not give himself to them. This is Jesus. This thing that he's weeping about will come upon them in a generation. And it will be of such a nature that Josephus it's the destruction of Jerusalem is so horrible. The thing that he described here, it's so terrible. Josephus records the words of Titus who when he came in and saw the carnage that had been done, he swore by the gods that he had not done it. So terrible was its effect. And partly because much of it was the imploding of the people on themselves. We can't see it now. We can't see it. And those who are seers have been talking to us. And for a year, I've been having voices come at me. And I lost my faith in religion again. It's good that we are broken. It's good that we are broken. It's Jesus. What is he doing? You know what he's doing? You know he was actually retracing the steps of King David? 
He was on the same path that David had been on when Absalom, his son, came against him. And if you remember, when you study David, the psalmist says that David laid down and slept and the Lord was with him. And great David's greater son, Yeshua, the king, makes that same path and carries that same peace. That peace that he says to them they don't have, he has, but it does not stop his tears. It does not stop his compassion. It does not stop his love for us because above all things, Jesus always wept because of the love of the Father for his children. Hallelujah. Mark tells us, but not Luke, that he goes into town and he goes into the temple and looks around and leaves. And the next day he entered the temple and he began that drive out those who sold, saying to them, it is written, my house shall be a house of prayer. You made it a den of robbers. And he was teaching daily in the temple. The chief priests and the scribes and the principal men of the people were seeking to destroy him, but they did not find anything they could do for all the people were hanging on his words. Jesus. So, some of y'all know what's been happening here in the church family. Gail and I found ourselves needing to come home. So, just so you know, we've been home for nine days or maybe ten. Felt it was the Lord's urging to stay stay away until this night. While we were gone, we got this terrible phone call. Our dear friend, Vicki Nelson, had been stricken with leukemia. Aggressive form. She was going into some severe treatments. I think it was last Saturday night. Might have been Friday, but it was last week. It was a Saturday. We get a contact. They're going to put Vicki in ICU and intubate her. And if I tell you the truth, I knew in that moment that I would not see my friend again in this world. Didn't let myself think it. But in my prayers, there it was. Be ready. Dear friend, I said this at her funeral, but when Gail and I moved to the city, December 1st, 1991, first service, 
Eugene and Vicki Nelson. And their three little girls came to our church with the first, first fruit of a new ministry. And in them, if you know them, is the witness of God of the nations. She's Hispanic. He's, he's American Indian. I remember the joy I had because I've always known that God's church was multinational, multi-ethnic, multi-racial. Every tribe, every kindred, every tongue, every nation. And I was like, God, first fruit in Albuquerque, this beautiful family. Monday morning, 8 o'clock, she, she went to be with the Lord. She graduated with honors, I want you to know. And uh, somehow, in the strangeness of this hour, I am comforted by the love we've shared with that family over these last four or five days. Because the tensions of the year had filled me with anxiety about people. And being with them and seeing that in Christ All of those things from the past year, every one of them came to the fore in the few days of visiting with them. The mass, the racial issues, the politics, the prophecies, the loss, the suffering, the pain. And what we had in common was stronger than anything that threatened to tear us apart. Because what we had in common was not a nationalist hope, but a kingdom reality. The preacher of the kingdom came to a moment and they said, let us make you king. And he says, I have bigger game to bag. You think I have come for the glory of a nation and I've come for the glory of God in all his people. And he, through his suffering and death, established a kingdom that shall never be destroyed. Established a kingdom in which the glory of God shall cover the earth like the waters cover the sea. He established a kingdom in which he said, my kingdom is not of this world or else my servants would fight. He established a kingdom that's in the Holy Spirit, not in the spirit of the times. He established a kingdom in which we overcome all the obstacles of the enemy. And so when I knocked on my friend Eugene's door on Monday afternoon after he had just lost his precious wife of over 40 years, he met me with a broad smile and a warm embrace because he understands the peace of God. Yeah, give that a hand. Now, I'm going to tell you what our assignment is. 
Weep with those who weep. Rejoice with those who rejoice. Think small, not large. Gather close to your family. Seek the way of peace. Seek the way in which you're able to love even those with whom you have the greatest divides. This is the way of the kingdom. This is the way of Jesus. And pray. It is written, my house should be a house of prayer. It's the last thing I knew about our sweet sister, Vicki, was that boy, that woman could pray. <laughs> so yesterday afternoon, I'm looking at the oldest grandchild, Avery, who's almost 21, I think, and a junior, UCLA, I think. And she's in some kind of class of economics. Are you kidding me? Some kind of, like, I didn't even know what it was when she said it. And, and I asked her how she was doing, and she said, I just aced my test. I said, how did you do that? She said, it's in a class that I've never made an A. But the last conversation I had with Grandma, she prayed for me. I aced my test. You can't take that away from her. Everything's been shaken, guys. Everything's been shaken. And I ain't gonna lie to you. I've been shaken to my core. You need to know, I'm not broken with any kind of thoughts that, that I'm making any kind of mistake. Well, I've made plenty of them. But giving you to a new pastor is not a mistake. And giving ourselves to a future that God has for us is not a mistake. So when you consider what I'm talking to you, it's not that. In fact, my greatest delight is that the Lord heard my cry and allowed us to have his gift of someone that I couldn't have even thought or imagined when we started considering it. You can give that a hand. But nonetheless, the brokenness came. I don't know any way to do about it except to not hide from it walk straight into it, call it what it is. Because let me tell you about demons in the dark. They still can't stand up to people who live in the light. And if you'll face your demons at night, <laughs> go around or two, and then before you go to sleep, you say, I'm coming for you again tomorrow night. Because I'm not living under your authority, but I'm living in Christ. And you'll be able to say with David, he brought me up out of the miry pit and set my feet upon the rock. 
And this is Jesus. Prepare yourself for communion. Looking forward to long conversations and quiet meals with old friends. Even stressful conversations. Looking forward to it because we're in Christ. And in Christ we find the common ground of the kingdom of God. Of the one who is and was and is to come. Jesus. And so it's Holy Week and we enter into the mystery And on this Friday, we'll break bread together. We'll break bread as Jesus did when he said to them on the night that he was betrayed. He says he took bread and he broke it. When he had blessed it and given thanks, he said to them, this is my body, which is given for you, the body of Christ. After the same fashion, he took the cup. He said, this is the blood of the new covenant in my blood, which is shed for you. Dear church, the blood of Christ is shed for us.